Many of us have expectations of things and the way things should be and the way things are. And we look at things and we perceive things uh, as a certain way. And we think that we know and we think that we understand what it is that we're looking at and what it is that we're perceiving and what it is that we're experiencing. And we're thinking that, okay, this is what this is. What this is. I know this is what th this is. This is. And then it turns out that it's not what we thought or anticipated what it was, but it was something different and something unique and something special. And I'm sure all of us have experienced that. I know I have. Well, this morning today, we're going to be looking at that very thing. As Jesus uh, approaches uh, Jerusalem, um, and he, he's going to be entering into Jerusalem um, for his final, uh, for his final uh, time, uh, final week of his life. Um, he's going to be entering in, and there's going to be expectations upon the people of who Jesus is as he enters into Jerusalem. Our scripture uh, today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. So let's read along with me as we, as we read here. Mark 11, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread their spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. And may God add the blessing to the reading of his word. We're going to be looking at three uh, points here today. The cult, blessed is he who comes, and after looking around. So let's look at our first point. The cult, uh, verses 1 through 6. Jesus and his disciples approach Jerusalem. Jesus gives specific instructions regarding a cult. So Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. Now, he we know that this is approximately the last week before he will be crucified. We know that this is the last week that he will um, be walking on the earth before, before he actually... Um, is crucified and killed and then rises again. So we see here that Jesus and his disciples. And so his disciples are looking at, they approached Jerusalem at Beth, Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, and he sent his two disciples and said to them. So 
here he is, they're approaching Jerusalem, and they're approaching, and they're coming there, and I'm sure that there's some anticipation in the hearts of his disciples. His disciples are thinking, well, what's going on here? What's happening here? We're going to Jerusalem, and we know that, as we learned last week, there was some apprehension among some people, and there was some excitement and some anticipation of what was going to happen as they approached Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem, how, remember we talked about how Jerusalem had treated the prophets and those who spoke in the name of the Lord, and how they treated them harshly, and how they treated them uh, uh, in unkind ways, and how many of them had suffered, had been persecuted, and some of them had even died while they were in Jerusalem. And so the disciples and those who were following with Jesus were well aware of what was going to happen, what was happening. And here Jesus was a prominent uh, rabbi, a prominent teacher, a prominent leader among uh, his followers. And so they're anticipating that, hey, here's Jesus here. Here's Jesus, um, our leader, and he's going to approach Jerusalem. And we know that he's spoken about that he was the promised one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who is going to release what? the yoke of burden off of us from the Roman oppression. And that's what they were looking for. And they were looking for um, a leader who would do what? Who would release the oppression, one who would release uh, the bondage from them, and they wanted someone that was strong, that could lead, and that could, could focus on ridding them of this oppression that came from the Roman government. So they're approaching, and they have all this in mind. Remember, now this is what they're anticipating. They're anticipating that they've heard Jesus talk about him being the Messiah, the one the, prom the one that was be the leader, and they're going into Jerusalem, and so what's he going to do? So they're thinking that, okay, this is what Jesus is going to do. This is what was in their minds. Remember how I talked about how you have an anticipation of what things are going to look like and what, what they're going to, how they're going to turn out, and you think that this is the way they are? And sometimes we miss that. But let's go on here. Because Jesus um, goes here, and this is this part, and the second verse two is really, really, really important. All of this is important, but this is important. And he said to them, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has yet ever sat, untied and bring it here. And then verse three. You know, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. So we see that Jesus gives what? Specific instructions. A good leader will give specific instructions. So he's giving specific instructions to these two individuals. Now, um, one of the things about this instructions, it's kind of unusual, is that Jesus knew about this cult and where it would be. How could he know that the cult would be there? And how could he know if someone was going to ask him, why are you untying the cult? Unless he knew, unless he was God himself. 
And this is really important. See, the, the disciples were thinking that, okay, he's telling us to go, giving us these specific instructions of going into this village, going into this area. Uh, you'll find a cult there, and if someone asks you why you're doing this, just say the master's in need of it, and they'll take care of it. Now, only God could know where that cult would be, because Jesus didn't go there. He didn't know that the cult was going to be in a specific spot at a specific time. And the cult, and the specific cult, was a cult that no one had ever ridden on before. How did, how would Jesus know all that information? Unless he was God, unless he knew knows what's going on, unless he had a plan and a purpose. And how would he know if someone would say, well, why untie on the cult? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? And so this is really an important aspect. The disciples hear this and hear these instructions from Jesus, but they go and they obey him anyway. But my point is, is that Jesus, when he gives, when he was giving instructions, he had a specific purpose in mind. He knows ahead of time, he knows where everything is. He knows where every what's going to happen in any moment, at any time, in any situation. He knows what's going to happen. And he's aware of where things are, what people are going to say, what people are going to do. Think about the scripture. I use this scripture quite a bit in Psalm 139, where it says, I knew you while you were yet in your mother's womb. Before a word was on your lips, I knew you. So, is God aware of things that are going to happen in our lives? Is God aware of circumstances and situations? Of where things are, what people will say, or how people will act, or what people will do? Is he aware of that? Or does it come to him by surprise? Like he didn't know, like he wasn't aware of what was going to happen. Right? God had planned what? This whole, they had, God had planned Jesus' life on earth long ago. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew the steps that were going to be taken. He knew the things that would be there that Jesus would do, that Jesus would say, that Jesus would walk in long ago. And this part of Jesus' journey as a human, as God in the, come in the flesh, was all purposed long ago. And so Jesus was, what, fulfilling the purpose and the plan that the Father had ordained for him from long ago. And Jesus was just walking in that, following in the Father's instructions. At this moment and at this point in time in history, Jesus was walking, what, in tune with what? The Father. The Father was saying, okay, this is what's happening. This is what, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this. So this is what you need to do, and this is how you need to do it. And this is where this cult's going to be, and this is what they're going to say. And Jesus was in tune with the Father, heard the Father, knew what the Father was saying, and he was following in the steps of the Father so he could fulfill the purpose that God had planned out for him. For that moment, and not only for that moment, for, for, but for all of history. And I think it's really 
this is really critically important for us as well and a, and a lesson for us as well is that God has a purpose and plan for a purpose and plan in mind for our lives, doesn't he? He does. And God is intimately involved in the details of our lives and the steps we take, the things we think, the things we do, how we walk, where we go, what we say, and what will happen in the days in the future ahead. Okay? He's intimately aware of that. Do you believe that in your heart? You don't have to... You don't have to answer me, but you have to answer that in your own question. Do you believe that God is intimately involved in your life down to the very details of your life and what you're going to say and what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, right? He is. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. And we need to be aware of what God is saying because God is speaking in our lives, but God's speaking all the time through his Holy Spirit. And God is saying, okay, this is the point, this is where you are, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what I'm doing at this moment in time, because in this moment in time, this is what my purpose is. And this moment in time, as you do this, will affect what's going to be happening in the future, going down long term. Okay? Because what Jesus was doing there wasn't just for the moment. It was for the moment, but what Jesus was doing there was for all eternity, wasn't it? It was. So when God was when God speaks to us, it's not just for the moment, but it's for longer term and then into eternity. Right? So as we're looking at that and as we're understanding that and we're seeing that, God is saying, God's speaking to us and saying, Okay, John, I'm speaking to me. Okay, this is what I want you to do. This is what's going to be happening. Um, listen to me. See, hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Hear my instructions. Hear what I'm doing here. And believe me. And that's an important. That's where faith comes in. Because he'll give instructions, but sometimes we won't always believe him for what he says. We'll discount it or we'll dismiss it and say, nah. Mm -mm. No, I'll go do something else. That's where we have to trust him as he speaks to say, okay, in this circumstance, in this situation, it doesn't make sense. How do you know that there's a cult there? How do you know that the person's going to say this, 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 and this? Because he's God, right? And that's where we have to trust him with the instructions in our lives. Because he knows what he's doing and he's got a good plan, doesn't he? He has a good plan. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. He does. He knows the plans. But he ha we have to hear his instructions in order for those plans to be carried out, right? We have, to be, we have to believe in faith, and then we need to act in obedience to carry out those plans. Right? What is God speaking to you now? What's God speaking to you in this moment? What's God speaking? How has God spoken to you in the past? And how have you been obedient? Because what happened to the, the disciples? Even though the, this, the, Jesus gave the disciples instructions, how did the disciples respond? Disciples responded by saying, 
They went away and found the colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. So they went and they believed the instructions that Jesus had given them, didn't they? So they went and they did what Jesus said. They could have not believed Jesus. They could have not understood what he was saying. They could, they could have said, Jesus, how can you know this thing? How could this be? How could you be aware that these things were going to be this way? They could have said that and said, nah. But they believed Jesus because what? Jesus has a good track record, doesn't he? Has Jesus ever gotten anything wrong, ever? No. He's a thousand percent. You know, in baseball and in sports, they have percentages. Well, Jesus is not 999% correct. He's 1,000%, right? 100%, 1,000% all the time, right? He's not two for one. He's two for two or three for three or four for four, right? Or five for five or whatever. He's never wrong. So we can trust him and whatever he says, if he gives us instructions to do, we can trust him with those instructions. And then we need to be obedient with that, right? We need to be obedient when he gives us those instructions, even when those instructions seem far-fetched or out, of, out there. And then we go on and he tells us, and some of the bystanders were saying to him, what are you doing? Untying the colt, Right? So they go there and they go follow Jesus' instructions and it's exactly what, how Jesus said it was, right? They're asking him. The cult was where it was supposed to be and the people say what, there's, what they were going to say just as Jesus told them, right? Just as Jesus told them. Jesus is not going to lie to us. Jesus is not going to lead us astray. Jesus is not going to lead us in a direction that's not good that's not good for our lives or it's going to be detrimental for us. But he's always going to give us instructions no matter how maybe it doesn't make sense to us that it's going to be good for us and it's going to be wise for us and it's going to be for our best interest in that moment and for eternity. And listen to this. And this is so, the verse 6. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave him permission. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. Just as. Not slightly different. Not a version of just as. They did exactly the people said exactly what Jesus would say that they would do. Because God had it all planned out. God had it all purpose. God had it all worked out, didn't he? And you know, this was for Jesus' purpose. But Jesus' purpose was not just for him, but it was for everyone, right? Because why was he doing it? Just for himself? Or what was he doing it for all mankind? Was he doing it just for the moment or was he doing it for all eternity? 
And say, when Jesus gives us, when he was giving those instructions, he was fulfilling those instructions. He was accomplishing those. He was accomplishing those things for our purpose, for our good, and not only for our good, but for the good of others, and not only for the moment, but for all eternity. And that's, I think, the perspective that God's doing. God is always exact in what he says and what he does. And then we need to be exact in following his details. We can't make a version of what Jesus says. We have to follow his instructions, his instructions explicit, explicitly, exactly the way he says to do. Because it's going to be for our good for the moment. It's going to be for the good of others for the moment. But also, it's going to be good for our good for eternity, and it's going to be good for eternity for all others, right? You, know, you follow me what I'm saying? So when we follow his instructions and we do what Jesus says, it's going to be for our good, for the good of others, and it's going to be for the moment, and it's going to be for eternity. Let's go on here. Blessed is he who comes. Now, think about this. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. If you, got your, if you have your Bibles, turn to Zechariah 9.9. Turn to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. Listen here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that was the prophetic version of the Messiah who would come triumphantly into Jerusalem. Hmm. So Jesus was fulfilling the God's purpose and God's plan for him at this time. Jesus knew that. The disciples knew that. Disciples and the people were aware of this verse. And they were looking for the Messiah to come in and do what only he could do. Now, they were looking for a king to do what? To overthrow, remember we talked about this? They're looking for the Messiah to do it. Overthrow the Roman oppression. Overthrow the Roman government. Overthrow uh, the Roman uh, chains that were upon them through the Roman Empire. But listen, how does a king, if a king's going to come into a mighty, victorious, strong king... How is he going to, what, what kind of animal is he going to come in on? What's symbolic back in that time? What's he going to come in on? When you, when you think of your, uh, when you think of, uh, when women think of their prince coming to them, they think of a, a knight in what? In shining armor, riding on what? A horse, a steed, a powerful animal. And you think about back then, in, in, in ancient days, the symbol of a mighty king was a king who went out to battle 
riding on his steed. Is Jesus coming in on a steed here? The one who was victorious, the one who was going to do, come, come into battle. Riding on the white steed or black steed or, or, um, or whatever color the, the horse was, but a picture of this mighty animal and king coming in victorious and is going to remove and he's going to uh, release the, uh, the oppression from the enemy off the people and coming in victory. Okay? Now, you think of this colt. Now, this colt is a little donkey. Donkeys aren't that, you know, compared to a horse. No one's ever ridden on one before, on this particular one. But a donkey, a, a king riding on a donkey, a foal, in other words, a young a young animal was a king who was symbolic of peace. As I was doing my studies on this, it was one who comes in peace. So the king was coming what? In peace, in a peaceful way. He was coming in as a king, a mighty king, a powerful king, but one who comes, comes what? In peace, in a peaceful way. So riding on that foal, Riding on that donkey was showing him that he was a he's he, he was the what the prince of peace, as the scripture says. He was the king who was coming in as the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one, coming in peace. And so, again, these folks are thinking that here's Jesus coming in as this Messiah coming in to release the oppression of the people. To release the oppression of the Roman bondage. He's coming in as peacefully, not this dun dun dun, -dun with the trumpets and, the, and coming in and mighty and victorious in battle on the horse. And what did the people do? And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread their leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. So they were preparing the way. They had this vision of Jesus the Conqueror, the Messiah, the promised one. They, loved, they looked for, that they had believed in, that would come, that was going to release them. And so they're doing what they, they were they're what they're promised, they what they knew. They knew to do for a king who was to come in. This is what a king would do. Kings coming in, you get palm branches, you get um, all these leafy uh, foliage, and you lay it before him. As you come in, it's fitting for an honor for a king. And so they're thinking that here is Jesus coming. And they're laying down their branches and they're laying down this thing, preparing for their king. Anticipating what their king is going to do. Anticipating what is going to happen for their king. And they know their scriptures. They know the understanding of what the scriptures are going to say. Because let's go on here. Um, and what did they say here? It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. A couple things here. Blessed is he that messianic, messianic mean Messiah, messianic worship, the worship of our Messiah. In the coming in the kingdom of our father David. How was David in battle? Have we if we read like First Samuel, Second Samuel, like First Kings, Chronicles, and the Old Testament, you'll find that David was what a mighty what warrior, victorious in battle. So this is the image. This is the image that folks had of their Messiah, one who is David, who would conquer. David conquered his. Saul conquered his thousands. David conquered his tens of thousands. So David was, he slew many of his enemies. He killed Goliath. He was victorious and mighty and strong. And that's what they were looking for. Someone that would do that for them. Because look at this. Look at, um, if you have your Bibles again, 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 14. Read this with me. 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 14. Second Samuel seven eleven through fourteen, and this is God speaking to David. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I gave you rest from all your enemies, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When the day when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him in the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. And who's he speaking about here? Of course, he's speaking about his descendants and his sons and his grandsons and so on and so on. But ultimately, it's about who? It's about his son, Jesus. Now, of course, we know that Jesus didn't commit iniquity. But he, when he says, he, who, if he commits iniquity, I will correct him. He's talking about his descendants like Solomon and his, Solomon's descendants and his descendants and his descendants. But he's not talking about, when he commits iniquity, he's not talking about his son, Jesus. Because we know that Jesus was perfect, what? Without sin, correct? But this is the, this is the promise for the Messiah that all the people knew that here was the Messiah, the promised one, who would be strong, coming from the loins of David, mighty, victorious in battle, lifting the yoke of oppression from us. So we see here that, um, and they come, and not only do they quote scripture, and not only do they uh, refer to the, uh, the, uh, the Old Testament and the laws of the Old Testament, but they worship him as well. 
So here they, they, what they do is that they lay palm branches fit for the king. They quote scripture and they, and they, and they say, here he is, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're acknowledging that this is the Messiah, the promised one who is to come according to the promise made to David and, and for his descendants after him, of whom Jesus was a descendant of. And then we see here, they worship him. They worship him. Hosanna in the highest. Who is alone worthy of worship? Not a man. Not a man. So they acknowledge him as what? They acknowledge him as God, the Messiah, the promised one, as God. Hosanna, they worship him in the highest. So they worship God. They worship Jesus. They worship him as their king. They acknowledge him as their king. The king that come from God. The king that has come from heaven to release the bondage of what he was going, of what they're, what, what they're in oppression to, which was a Roman government. But the thing is, is that, and this is what's really important. They're looking at their oppression. They're looking at Jesus to release them from their earthly oppression. The oppression that's in the moment. The oppression that's in the moment right now. They're, what was their oppression? What was their difficulties? What were they seeking to be released from? From what the Roman government was doing. At that moment and at that time in history. And they were thinking in the moment. When God was thinking, and what God's plan was, is not just to, not to necessarily release them from the oppression of the moment, but to release them from the real oppression, which is the oppression of sin. Because what does sin do? Sin puts us in bondage. It puts us in chains, doesn't it? It puts us in shackles. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin causes death. And so what did Jesus come to do? He came to conquer sin and death. He, he, here's the Messiah coming into Jerusalem to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose for him. And the people, but the people are thinking that it's, he's going to come and release them from the oppression of the Romans. Whereas God's, Jesus' plan was, I'm going to come and release you from the oppression of your sin by my resurrection, by my death by my suffering, by my death, and by my rising again. And not only am I going to release you from the power and the bondage of your sin, I'm going to bring healing. If you look at, if you look at 1 Peter, it says, for by his wounds we are healed, right? Know what that means? The wounds that he endured for us at the cross. The blood that he shed for us on the cross. By his wounds we are healed. What does sin do? Sin causes wounds in us. Sin causes death in us. Right? And what did he come to do? He came to heal us of those wounds that have been caused by sin. 
so that we can be healed and so we can have new life. What does the enemy want to do? What does the enemy cause to do? He caused, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? What did Jesus come? Came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. So God's purpose here was to release us from the yoke and the bondage of sin, reconciling us back to the Father, making us whole again, making us healed again, and releasing us from the bondage of who? Of our sin and of the enemy of Satan. That was the real thing. That's what the people couldn't see. The people couldn't see that that, you know, the Messiah was what the Messiah was really going to do and what his plan and his purpose was. Yes, his purpose was to, to release his people, but if the people could see what the real, who the real problem was, wasn't the Roman government. It wasn't the Roman oppression. It was the oppression of sin caused by what had happened in the garden by Adam and Eve. And he came to free us from that. Because, and this, him riding on the colt coming into Jerusalem was all a part of that. Remember I talked about how the situation was in the moment? For the situation and the circumstance in the moment? But it was, goes for all eternity? Because this was a part of the decision and the choice that Jesus made so that it would affect us not only in the moment, but for all eternity. And not only for us immediately right here and now, but for all others. Right? And don't you know Jesus was thinking about that? And don't you know that he's thinking about that with us? Is that he knows that we have, we want certain things in our life. He knows that we, we want we want to accomplish things and we want to do things and we want to be things and we want to do we want to do the things that you know that we want that we, that he wants for us in our lives and he knows that in our lives but sometimes those things are not things that we are are not those things are not what we uh, anticipate them to be. Remember how I said, remember things, how things are not, we look for a way, things in certain ways in the beginning, but they're not, we don't anticipate them. God, we think of them one way, or God thinks of it as another way. And that's what we need to be aware of, and that's what we need to be um, sure of in our hearts, in our minds, in our understanding. What is God saying to us? How, what is God speaking to us? How is God speaking to us? What is he saying right here and now? We need to follow his instructions. Be explicit in his instructions. Follow him in every detail that he says. Even though we don't make, make sense. Because he wants to do it for us for now. But it's going to have internal implications. For us and for others as well. Follow his instructions. Know that he wants to free us. Know that he wants us to be released from the burden and the bondage of a sin that's in our lives. The things that have caused the little sins in our life that cause so much pain, so much hurt, so much heartache in our lives. He wants to release us from that. He wants us to have peace, not the anxiety. He wants us to have his peace in our lives. And what peace does? Peace gives life. 
He wants us to have joy in our lives, not to be the miser not to be miserable. Right? He came that we we can have joy in our lives. We can have peace in our lives. But that's what the cross did by releasing us from our sin. And the bondage of sin, those chains and those shackles. There's a um, there's a singer, um, he's a contemporary Christian artist, um, Zach Williams, and he has a, one of his songs was Chainbreaker. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. Right? So we could be free. Our Messiah, we look at Jesus as the one who's going to meet our need right now. But no, but he's going to, but it's going to be not only for now, but for the days to come. Let's trust him. If he gives us instructions, do it. Follow his instructions, even if you don't understand it. Knowing that he's got a greater purpose in mind, a greater plan in mind than we could ever even understand. And it'll be the way he says it'll be. And he'll accomplish what he will accomplish in our lives. But we have to follow him. Because he's got a wonderful plan for us, folks. And he wants us to be free. Right? He wants us to have joy in our lives. He wants us to have peace in our lives. Follow his instructions. And do what he says. Amen? Let's go ahead and uh, pray. Father, thank you, almighty God, for um, your peace and your joy that you give in our lives. Jesus, help us to follow your instructions, even if we don't understand them, knowing that you have a greater purpose in mind. Help us to be uh, obedient in the moment. Help us to act in faith, O oh God, trusting you, um, even if we don't understand. Jesus, help us to know that you have our best interests in mind, knowing that you want um, to free us from the bondage of our sin. You are our Messiah, who will free us and who can, who can free us. Because your word says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Break the bondage of sin in our lives, God. Uh, set us free. Do what only you can do in our lives, O oh God. Have your way in us today. Do mighty, wonderful, victorious things in us. And God, if we don't know you, please bring salvation this day. If you don't know uh, Jesus, just pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against you. I've missed the mark. I, I haven't done those things which I, I, I know that I should do. Jesus, I know that you want to uh, forgive me of my sin. So please forgive me, Jesus. Please show me mercy. Wash me with your blood even right now. Set me free, O oh God, even right now. Come into my life. Be my... Be the Lord of my life. Be the master of my life. Be the Messiah of my life today, O oh God, we pray. Please, Jesus, in your name. And, and we thank you, Jesus, and we love you. And those of us who do know him, God, just bring us, set us free today, we pray. Break the chains and the bondage that are in our lives. Make a way as only you can do today, we pray. In Jesus' name. And we thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Father, to miss your people now with your peace and with your joy, uh, with your very presence in our lives, we pray. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. Protect us against the enemy. Provide for our needs today. And we thank you and love you in Jesus' name.